All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game, DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you've got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. All right. Our number one asked question is revolving around force fetch. Whether your dog drops the bumper or duck at the edge of the water, or you failed a few hunt tests because the dog monkeys with the birds or won't pick up a bird, let me help you help your dog. Bunch of different breeds, bunch of different personalities, start to finish teaching you how to do it. Links in the description. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We've got a good show coming for you with our special guest, Oscar Mora from California, an elevated canine. He's a obedience trainer. He does protection sports at a super high level, and we get into high drive dogs and working them through all that good stuff, just like our Labrador. So really need information, but stay tuned. First, give us a little bit of love on the patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show, if you learn something, if you ask us a question on Instagram, you know, jump on there, buy us a beer. We appreciate you. Uh, join that community. It's great. Next up is the Lone D, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Yeah, we got the hats, the hoodies, training gear, etc. So again, if you if you like the show, support the show there. We appreciate it very much. Next up, from the holding blind to the duck blind, baby, we got that Purina, the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck. Uh, we're feeding the 30-20 to our big dogs and the large breed puppy formula to our pups. Next up, Dog tree collars, man. We talk a little bit about collar conditioning on today's episode with Oscar and pressure and, and you know how it can make a dog great. And so if you think about that, dig it. Dogtra. Next up, Gunner Kennels, man's best kennel. If you're driving down the road and shh, it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. Made in America. They believe in the unspoken bond just like we do. Get into it. That Gunner Kennels, baby. Next up, Traeger Grill. Smoke them if you got them, baby. We did a pork butt the other day, and we just finished it. I ate that sucker for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Delightful. Killing it. Traeger Grills. Next up, 
Standing Stone Supply. Our, you know our friends Cat and Ethan at Standing Stone. They are bird dog folks, but you know what? They dabble in everything dog training, and so their supply company does the same. If you haven't checked them out yet, please do. StandingStoneSupply.com. Next up, shoot or shoot, baby. Mm, that Kent Cartridge. Kent Cartridge on Instagram. We're shooting clay birds, getting prepped for duck season. You should too. Ammo's shortage in America is is tough on everybody, but Kent can hook it up. Get ready for that mm, bismuth. All right, let's get into the show. Oscar, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hey, Bob, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, about myself, I mean, from the beginning, I was, uh, my parents came from Mexico, immigrated from Mexico to the U.S., and I was born in uh, California, Inglewood, California. Um, you know, grew up kind of uh, in the, what people call the projects, the ghetto, and, uh, you know, regular, not, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary other than, uh, you know, I really uh, enjoyed being around dogs growing up and, uh, you know, going back to Mexico, spending time, you know, with dogs and whatnot. And somehow, uh, once I got older, got out of high school, was working aerospace job. And, uh, I somehow ended up back into my, you know, what I liked as a, as a kid, which was hanging around dogs. Uh, I got my first dog when I was, that I actually bought myself when I was like 22. And, uh, i I realized that I was a little in over my head and uh, didn't know how to deal with the dog. And so I seeked out some, you know, some dog training. And all of a sudden, man, this, this, uh, this thing turned into from a hobby into a, you know, a full, full on career, which I am blessed to, you know, I'm blessed to have now. I have a, a company here based out of Los Angeles called Elevated Canine Academy. And, uh, you know, we have eight trainers. And we do a lot of pet dog training, and we also do some sport dog training. And I have been fortunate enough to, you know, be able to dabble around with the sport dogs and compete at, you know, somewhat high level, and had a little bit of success. So that's where I'm at, man. I'm still, I'm still in the beginning of my career as far as that goes, but you know, I'm really looking forward to to the future. That's super cool. Tell me about that first dog at 22. You know, Oscar, at 22, what you were doing in life, uh, you, you said you had your job in the aerospace area, and it's like, you get this dog, what breed, what was its name? Yeah, so uh, so what happened was, I was looking at Presa Canarios, uh, you know, just because, I, I, growing up in the, what we call the hood, you know, the ghetto, you know, people always have pit bulls and, you know, all that, so you kind of want to have, you know, the, you like this look or whatever, <laughs> And so I was like, oh, this new, this new breed of dog, you know, the Presa Canario, it was, uh, was coming out in that time. And, uh, and I was, I was researching them and then I came across the Connie Corso, which also looks like, you know, one of those, one of those dogs. Yep. And I hate to say it like that, you know, that, you know, I wanted a, a big dog that looked kind of scary, but really that's, that's what it came down. You know, that's what it came down to. Now, uh, when I started reading more about them, so I was like, I made an impulse buy. I made a deposit on a dog that was not born yet. It was like six months before the litter was going to be due. And, uh, and then I started getting scared. I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> how am I going to deal with this dog? I don't even have a yard. I still live in like, you know, in the hood with no yard in a town home. 
Um, I'm always at work. My mom's going to have to deal with this stuff. My mom's never dealt with dogs. So I started panicking a little bit up to the point where I was leaving, almost going to, when I got the dog, I was going to send the dog back just because I was afraid. I got like panic attacks from it. But, um, so her, her name, her name was, uh, Red Hot. And, and, uh, so before I even got her, like four months before I started going to a shifting club because cool. I was like, I need to prepare myself before I get this dog because. You know, she's going to bite somebody and, and all these thoughts go through your head, you know, especially with these big dogs that you don't know nothing about. And so I was driving the freeway and I saw this dude training dogs, like police dogs. So I decided to stop by uh, and I met Peter Burmeister. He's old German dude. At the time, he was probably like, I don't know, 75 years old already. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I pull up to his fence where his field is at which is now, you know, where I train, where I have, you know, where we run our training. And he was like, he waved me in and, you know, I, I was there for four months, you know, hanging around dogs and catching dogs on the sleeve. Uh, Cause right away he put me as his, his bite dummy. And, um, you know, so I learned about that. So I got my first Tony Corso and I just really got obsessed with the training. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, it was like, before I was into the Connie Corso and I learned all about pedigrees and all that. And, and I would fly out to shows to see, you know, what they look, you know, what they look like and all that. And then I really got into the training and I really became obsessed with training dogs. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where it all started. And from there I went on to do, you know, French ring, uh, French ring, Mondial ring, Schitzen, all that stuff. But Lasia, uh, she wasn't built for the sport that I wanted to play in. And so I ended up benching her and buying a uh, breeding another dog. And that's the one that, that, that was my first competition dog. Tell me, uh, this is, we're jumping ahead on how I want to get there, but you brought it up, you know, the different sports within the bite dog and everybody who listens to podcast learned, uh, about street league. And so they have a taste of what street league was, but, Maybe right. take a, a minute to describe what is French ring? What, what does a dog have For to sure. do and what is what makes <clears throat> that special? For sure. So let's start with uh, first, I think Schutzen is one of the oldest uh, sports. It, and it was a, kind of like a breed test to, like, uh, to see if, uh, if the dog was worth breeding. You, you know, they wanted you to title your dog in this sport, which is Schutzen. And that came from Germany. And that is a sleeve sport, and it is obedience, protection, and tracking. And it's three different phases. Uh, you start off with 100 points in each phase, and you lose points along the way. And you got to get, you know, a certain percentage so you could pass. Now, that is just a sleeve where the guy wears, uh, you know, something on his arm. Then you have French ring. French ring, obviously, originated from France, and that is a suit sport. And that is also, it has agility, has jumps. It has a little bit of, scent, like, one exercise of scent discrimination and um, a lot of protection work. And that is a full suit sport where the guy has to wear a full suit. Um, and then there's, the difference between those two is obviously, you know, I think, in my opinion, one of, like, Schutzen is a more of a, especially nowadays, it's more like a, they really focus on the, um, how can it, the attitude of the dog, how does, how does, you know, how does the tail look? How does the attitude look with the handler? If they see that there's some pressure, you're going to lose points. 
and friend training, they don't really care too much about that as long as the dog executes all the exercises the way that he's supposed to execute them. And it is more of a, for me, it's a harder sport because in friend training, they don't separate the phases. It's literally when you get to the higher levels, it's a 45 minute routine that you're out there with your dog the whole time with no equipment, nothing. The dog has to stay with you. And a lot of competing motivators, you know, like dog really wants to go bite the guy in the suit because that, that becomes, you know, something that the dog really wants. And you have to be out there for 45 minutes, you know, dealing with the dog that you have to control. Uh, (laughs) Those are those two sports. Then we have Mondial Ring, which is also a suit sport. And that one uh, is, is a little bit like friend training, but they have themes where they change the theme and, you know, the theme could be a hospital or something. And, you know, a lot of the scenarios are based out of, you know, people acting like nurses and that type of stuff. And then they have a bunch of, you know, whatever the, the theme is for that, for that trial, that's Bondi ring. And then we have, now we have PSA, uh, which is a sport that was created here in the U S. And then we have now what we, what we're doing is the canine street league, uh, you know, and that is going to be more of a, what we want to do is more of a real life type of scenarios uh, for protection, for protection dogs. Yeah, with the Canine Street League, it was it was really neat to see the discipline in the dogs, and, and we need that as well in our game. So to give you a a, a little bit of a deal, it's there, there's field trials, and that's win or lose, you know, first, second, third, fourth place, and then there's hunt tests, and that's what I do, and that's pass fail. So it's similar to your your idea with the the point system and you know as long as you're above this point system your dog has completed the tasks at hand da 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 da, da you pass. Um are any of these besides street league, you know I know that there's a winner in street league, are there French ring and those other ones are there winners and losers or is it a pass fail and you get a title? Yeah, no, there's always uh there's always I mean there's what we have is uh we have club trials and then we have regionals, we have nationals, and we have world, you know, world competitions. Now, um, you all, there's always a first, second, third place in every in every trial, no matter you know where you go. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a, you know, first, second, third, uh, and there are pass fail in the in the entry levels. So in the brevet for French ring, uh, the BH for Shutton is just an obedience routine. All the entry level stuff for the most part, is usually pass-fail. Uh, not really, you know, you don't really place. But once you get to the level one, level two, or level three, there definitely is where you place. Very cool. That's Yeah, that, that to me is really neat. And, you know, watching the Street League dogs, I, I'd mentioned it before, that composure. You know, we don't, in, in our stuff, it's just like Street League and, and the rest that you described. We can't have a collar on. We can't have any... Um, training devices, nothing. You're it's you and the dog, and all the work that you put in, and the consistency that you put in. Now you're being tested without those tools in the tool belt um, to use, and and you can see the the wheels come off on some dogs, for sure. But so one of the points that I really want to touch on is when the wheels fall off for me, the dog just goes and gets a duck. When uh-huh. the wheels fall off for you, someone's getting bit. Right. And it's, to me, that, like, level of um, responsibility of the handler and the responsibility of the dog 
has got to be intense. So can you walk us through that right. and, and like good dogs and bad dogs and, and, you know, are there dogs that you just are like, this is unsafe or walk us right. through that, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, you should, uh, from judging the last canine street league, there was a couple dogs that were just out of control and we didn't even let them step onto the field just because it's a liability to everybody, you know, around. Uh, it's just not safe. And, but you should know your dog and you should know kind of where your training is at. And if you know, you know, but we always run the risk of like the dog might pop off a bite and try to come after the judge thinking that that's a, also a decoy, you know? Um, but for the most part, the decoys are always in suits and, you know, or, you know, some type of a uh, hidden, you know, hidden sleeve where the dog is going to go bite. Now, you know, definitely as a, as a judge or whoever's there, you should, you know, we kind of keep an eye and make sure that we, we try to keep everybody safe. The decoys in the decoys head, he should see that if the dog is going after somebody else, he should pop in and, you know, make some type of a, you know, agitation for the dog to come bite him instead. Cause he has protective gear right. now at, at, you know, for the most part, dogs that get DQ'd are dogs that either don't out, or leave the handler to go bite. And, you know, as soon as that happens, it's game over, you're out, you get DQ'd. Gotcha. Let's say, all right, for instance, my assistant trainer here, uh, we're all lab folks, you know, she, there's short hairs, there's goldens, there's Chesapeake's, that, but we're, we're, we're retriever folks. I have trained some German shepherds for house dogs throughout my years of doing this. Um, but this, she bought a Malinois puppy. Uh-huh. She's excited about it. She wants to learn about it. Uh, I'm excited for her. This puppy's bad to the bone. I don't know what to do with it. I really don't because like some of the things that you guys want, we don't, I don't want it barking. I, and I'm not talking about her puppy. I don't want a Labrador barking at me. Because then it may correlate to the duck blind where the excitement level is high and they start barking or right. whining or jumping. I mean, we want them environmentally sound so I can take them in a boat or a duck blind or a stand or here and there. But I don't want them jumping all over the place. And so we're looking right. at this little monster and it's like, should we let it jump on us? Should we let, should we, <laughs> like, what do we do? Hey, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, I actually, one of my hardest dogs to train that, you know, in my, in, in my, you know, my years of training has been, was a working lab. I do not know how to control this dog, man. <laughs> I have not seen the drive that this dog and, and he's still, he's already like eight years old and he still is crazy. So to me, it's like, you know, we're, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because to me, a lab has been one of my hardest dogs. To, to work with you know yeah um yeah. now if if uh, i think it all depends on what the what the end goal is right and yeah. and i think uh that is something that you know a lot of people they like for me I, from learning now from you know uh when i got my 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 malinois waffle which is my my main competition dog i'm already going to retire him he's already seven and uh when i was starting with him everything like i wanted a high drive dog i wanted him to you know, just do everything with a lot of excitement and, and everything. And what ended up happening was that, um, I ended up just rewarding all the wrong stuff 
in a way where now he can't even think when he goes out there. He can't breathe correctly because I just made that, you know, I just amped him up so much. I, what, what I, I use a lot of release markers in my training and I use nothing but release markers. I never taught him like, Hey, be still a reward can come to you. It was always like, go, 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 go. And now, you know, I even feel bad for the guy because I almost feel like mentally I kind of screwed him up because all he's thinking is go to the point where he can't even contain himself. He can't even breathe. And so after, you know, I, I literally, I could put him out. I could put a ball in front of him. And in three minutes, he'll be like gasping for air because he can't control himself. Yeah. So and that so was that correct. was my mistake in, in training. You know what I mean? Now that I look back at it. Well, that's a huge correlation to what we do as well. We almost, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of building retrieve drive. Because right. I, if I get, again, I made a comment about, hey, there's 30 dogs here. You know, 10 of them are, are meh. 10 of them are good. And then 10 are too much for people. Those too much, we don't need to throw happy bumpers. We don't need to pump them up. We don't need to talk in a high-pitched voice. The other right. 10 in, that I first said, you know, that are man and learning and yeah, they need a lot more. Slow dogs move fast, fast dogs move slow. And I think people don't look at that at an earlier age and say, I've got a fast one. And so they, they just keep giving them what they want. And all of a sudden you've got this monster on your hands and, and it's, right. yeah, it's very, very common. And so let, let, so let's touch on that a little bit. So now I have my new dog, Rogan, and he's. I'm also building him up for competition. And I and I have and I actually had another dog before him, Icon, which I end, ended up selling. But my training was completely different. Now, I also believe that genetics have a lot to do with it. Like people that know genet, like the the breeders of the dogs that are behind my dog, they can see my dog and go, "Oh, I have seen that before." Mm -hmm. don't do this don't do that and it would be foolish of me just to think that because i'm a good trainer uh not to listen to them so if they go hey you're gonna start losing this dog like he he's very compliant right now but at a year and a half he's gonna be a complete different dog start you know maybe maybe don't give him so much free uh you know you know uh don't give him an inch basically because he's gonna take a foot you know what i mean or he's gonna take a meter Make, make sure you don't give this dog, you know, too much leeway. Make sure you always keep them tight because at a year and a half, you're going to lose them. And, you know, and at, before I would probably be like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. It's just your bad training and this and that. And now I'm like, thank you for letting me know. I will make sure I keep an eye on it. I will make, and so especially you that, you know, you breed dogs and all that. You, you already know what dogs are going to need a little bit of maybe amping up a little bit. Like you said, like free bumpers or whatever. And what dogs like do not need that because you know what you're looking at. And a lot of people don't know that a lot of new trainers think they just, they just know it and they don't really pay attention to that stuff. And me now, what I know now from my mistakes that I have made, I'm like, Oh, I could see it. Like my dog that I have now was bred for Frenching. The dogs behind him are all Frenching dogs. And I could see how his attitude in the obedience might not look the same as my last dog who was, bred for something else you know what i'm saying so I do. yeah i do so that's that, that's a that's a big thing how are you using because some of the terms that you use are above my pay grade and i think okay. if i were to use some terms that we use you, you would say the same right it's just a different world 
So for sure, you made a comment about release markers, right? Is that like okay or yes or free or yep, yeah, yes. So your my my term my terminal marker is yes. All the rewards are either come from me. Uh, the rewards are so now I use and it's it's not that that hard. I use a, a couple different ones. I use uh, yes, which means the reward comes from me. I use uh, my duration marker, which is just a good, which means I'm going to go take the reward to you. And and then I have a go, which means I'm going to throw my reward. I'm going to toss my reward. And then I have a get it, which means the reward is already out there. Uh, and you're going to go get that reward. And so once I place all, and, he, and my, my dog knows all these words, he knows that the reward is not always going to be with me. Or the reward is not always going to be with the decoy biting the decoy. So now his brain isn't just focused on go, 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 go. It's like, um, I might go or I might get rewarded here. So you create a little bit more of a balance. Now, the dog really enjoys biting the decoy a lot more than he likes the reward with me. But he knows that the only way to access the decoy is by taking my reward. So it becomes kind of like an obedience thing. So that's this is this is the rub. This is the part where we start really talking and training because this is where if we take the decoy bite and make that a a, a duck. Right. So maybe give us an example of and and KD Matthews came out and trained with me and he got to see this discussion in real life like watching me work these dogs and have them do x y and z. And if they performed those things to my standard, then we moved forward and they got to go and get a retrieve. Right. And if they didn't, they either got a correction. Well, it's probably a correction no matter how you look at it, but I may make them wait longer. I may make them go back right. and do three different things like to, in order to come back That's to the it. line and come and get it. So maybe in your That's world, it. what do you, what would you do differently or so, the same or whatever. Here's, here's, here's the problem, I think, is that people get stuck uh, training patterns. So, and the dog, once, once you do it three times, the dog's like on autopilot. He's like, I know what you're going to ask of me next. I'm going to go. And so I think that's one of the biggest problems, even in our sport, or, you know, say for the, the back snatch on the Canine Street League where somebody takes the bag and the dog goes and he bites them. You do that three times, well, the dog's not going to wait for the guy to grab the bag. He's already going to be pulling away, wanting to go get that because that's just, you know, what he's used to doing. But what if, so what I call it is in, in, in my, you know, what, what I'm training, I train for level five, things that the dog is never going to see. And I place rewards in places the dog is never going to see just so he could keep his composure for level three. So if you tell me, hey, I, you know, this dog really wants to go get this duck and he, you know, he's super anxious. Well, I'm not going to let him go. He might, he might get a reward from me instead three times before I have to send him to go get that reward. And he's going to learn that, Hey, it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time. Now, if you, every time you train, it just happens over and over and over. I just, I think it's a little bit unfair that we do this to the dog and then we correct them for making the mistake. Now, it's cool. Correct the dog. Obviously, he made a mistake. Correct him. But why don't you plan your training better so that 
the dog is a little more clear-headed and isn't just thinking one thing. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I'm just trying to figure out how I could do it different, right? Got it. So, so give me, give me an example. So, uh, and, and I'm not saying that cause I'm not in your shoes. So, uh, me coming into, you know, Hey, this is how I would do it if I was you, but I would definitely, you know, like if you gave me an example, I would go, well, maybe I'll try this and maybe it'll work or maybe it won't work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'll give you the example that we run into. We've got, we'll go to a field or a pond. We pull up in the truck, we unload our equipment, we pick out what marks and what a mark is where a dog sees a, a, a bird fall and you send them to it. Uh, a blind uh-huh. is where you, they don't see anything fall and we send them and stop them on a whistle and cast them across the field, right? So now there's drills that we do to build this, but in essence, let's say we go out to the field, we park the truck, we get everything going and I pull out Memphis and right. she's like, well, it's freaking my turn. Booyah. She goes through the routine of going in a holding blind and sitting there until I tell her to come out. And then we walk, right. nice, you know, attempt to walk nicely to the line where we're going to run from. And then she looks out at the four wheeler and the kid and she's like, hmm, that's where I'm going. Bang. A gun goes off. A bird gets thrown. You say her name. She goes and gets it. Right. So with those with those dogs that are like crazy, 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 I may do that maneuver, put them in the holding blind. We start walking to the line, and they jump three feet in front of me and break heel. I'm going to know here, give a correction, put them back in the holding blind. They take a deep breath, calm back down. We do it again. And so they then learn, hey, if I stay with him, I get to go and sit and get my reward. Right. So that would be like one instance or one example, but then there are dogs that just cannot contain themselves. And, and for the life of me, unless you take extreme amount of time and this is, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Taking your time to slow down and make them do 10 different things, healing until they relax. Cause they're right. just, they're doing it, but they're, they're like, they look like a freaking stallion pounding the ground at heel. Cause they're like, I, I, I can't contain it. Right. What if, what if, uh, like, but so this is something that I think has to be done in the very beginning. It, you have to think about it. Like, you know, what problems are going to be coming. So how can we do it so that these problems don't happen? So one of the ways I do it is I just add incompatible behaviors to whatever he's supposed to do. So if, if I know, if the dog knows that I'm going to recall him, like I have him on a down stay and I'm going to recall him, um, maybe before I even recall him, I send him to a touchpad behind him and then I recall him. Mm-hmm. So instead of him thinking, I'm just going to go forward, I'm going to send him behind first, touch a, touch a pad, and then he comes forward. So that's an incompatible behavior from what he's going to do the day of the trial, which is just come forward to me. Now you're going to run a, you know, with some dogs, if they're anticipating things a lot, then you could run into some issues where the dog is going to maybe just go on his own, you know, to the touchpad behind him. But if you balance your training the right way, you can go, Hey, sometimes I'm going to recall you. Sometimes I'm going to make you go to the touchpad behind you and go pay you down there. Or sometimes, um, you know, I'm going to go right back to heel position and just heal away. 
So I'm adding three different options to something instead of just there was only one. And when people just train one, then you run a higher risk of the dog doing that the day of the trial, anticipating the behavior the day of the trial. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So for everybody listening, so I'm going to digress for a second, Oscar, to give, give an example for that. You know, for the young dogs, it's difficult, but you could still ask of them to go to a, a dog stand. You could still ask them to do uh, some different obedience commands, A, B, C, and D, and then get one thing, you know, that one right. reward, and then do two more things, ask of them, and then and com- switch it up all the time. For the big dogs, right. I will try and do that in almost every setup where we'll have blinds put out there, the blind retrieve put out there, and if they do something wrong, they have to now comply with running a blind, which is still fun for some dogs, but or actually most dogs, it's just not as fun and exciting as going and getting the retrieve. Um, so if they do something I don't like, no, here, come here, good, right there, back, run a blind. And and that's how I've kind of combat it with the dogs that anticipate too much. Right. Yeah. Got it. But I think I so can what it, and that. So, so say in the beginning, right, say uh, say you have a, your dog on a – like. Uh, and I'm just thinking like in protection, what I do. So, uh, cause before I even go to the actual decoy in a suit and all that, I start teaching a lot of my exercises with a lower value reward, which could be a tug. It could be, you know, something, something, uh, some, something of lower value. Right. And so, um, what you, one of the things that I do is I'll put my, for example, I have his tug, which for you would be a bumper. I put my dog on a sit. I throw the tug forward. I have my dog waiting, 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 waiting. And then at one point I give him a mark and I have the leash on a, you know, on a flexi leash or something. And I just toss the toy back to him to pay him in the position next to me and play with him there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now for you, it might be different because for your dogs, the action of retrieving of running is maybe the, the main reinforcer. That's the, what they enjoy the most. So they might not get as much, you know, fun out of it. Like our dogs really like just biting the toy. So if he's next to me, I throw the toy. He really wants to go get it. But instead, I have room service where the toy comes to him and gets paid next to me. That's still valuable for my dog. He still gets rewarded. You know what I'm saying? But for you, I'm not sure if it will apply the same way. Well, I think it's just a a cool discussion to have on – me thinking outside of the box in that same realm. Like it may not be the exact thing what you're describing, but, but it's there. There's something there. Now, what about the dogs that just you look at and you're like, this one's got a screw loose. Are you, well, the, the question I want to ask is like the, the guapo, you know, the seven year old that's just in three minutes of, of staring at a ball, he's just blown his load because he's so exhausted from being so on. Um, You know, to me, is that a dog, or the question I have, is that a dog that in someone else's hands would be a a liability? And I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean it like it would be tough for a lot of people to handle. And and how did you handle it? A hundred percent. Yeah, not many people could handle a dog like that, uh, you know, especially in competition, like I would literally like, I have to figure out my prep 
for competition with him because if I don't, um, like he he had a lot of leaking. You know, he would go when I would we leaking meaning like when I say heel, he start making these, you know, noises. Mm-hmm. That just come out of him because his body's just producing so many chemicals in there, you know, <laughs> yes. and he just cannot, he, he could just not contain himself. So I was like, man, like, how can I, and I, and I, this is something that I try to fix for years and I just couldn't, I'm just, you know, I was not that good. And, um, and this, I, I met up with this one trainer, his name's Marco, uh, uh, Marco Consuscalo. And he's like, he's a big, uh, uh, an IGP guy. He just won a national actually. And he was like, um, so first, let me go back. In my healing, when I'm healing, I would release my dog to get the ball. He would go behind my back and get the ball on my right side when he was healing on my left. So he'd go behind, take the ball on my right, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I would be healing. And, and what Marco said, he was like, hey, stop letting him come out of the heel position to get his reward because him not he's not thinking clearly of just, staying in the heel position because he's all he's he's thinking about getting out of the heel position to get his reward he's like why don't you instead just walk with him heel when he's doing really good say good stop the reward comes to him and pay him over his head over and over instead of releasing him because mm-hmm. the action of releasing is keeping his head not being clear in the heel position which is the exercise that where we're going to get judged on you know what I'm saying? I do. So, so he was like, yo, make sure you heal and you never release this dog. Now, I also, another thing is getting to competition. I just take away the rewards. I, I, he doesn't need that many rewards. And, you know, that's how he settles in a little bit more. It's like at the end of the routine, he'll get one reward and that's it. His reward is going for the retrieve, bringing it back, uh, you know, recalls those are his rewards during the routine and then at the end after i'm done i walk out and then i give him a ball that's it he doesn't need more than that because that's the type of dog that he is now there are some dogs i've had client dogs where we have to reward 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 just to keep this dog dog's attitude a little bit higher and then we might take one off and then keep rewarding like it's just not it's just a different dog you know and those are genetics i mean you're gonna, that's what makes you a good trainer is like you could see what dog needs what. I couldn't agree more on that one. It, reading the dog, training the dog in front of you, and, and getting that dog to be successful no matter what its attitude is or, or personality or quirks or whatever. Yeah, I think that's the good analogy for, for one of our dogs. I just sent a dog home for like a two- or three-week break, and uh, – you know, everybody wants to throw them fun bumpers. And so they'll go in their front yard and that's what they train on. And it's like, that's not training. That's actually untraining everything that I did. I mean, just getting her to sit and sit still and and relax for a second is hard because all she wants to do is go. And so I'm like, you're you're just don't throw her anything, you know, make her earn, make her earn one and do all these different drills that we do and fun stuff that are not just, building building craziness um right yeah interesting yeah another thing too that uh you know that i put into my into my training is uh i do things in like in threes so if i'm gonna do a recall and so the so say when i do a recall the dog comes to a front which he sits right in front of me and then we tell him to heal and he goes to your left side right Mm -hmm. and in competition you know you recall your dog you do that 
But in training, instead of me just recalling my, so for that exercise, I'll be healing. I down my dog. I walk 30 paces out. I turn around, face my dog. I tell him to down again, to, just to solidify that down. I walk forward 10 paces. And then I tell him to, re and then I recall him. And then when I recall him, I down him again. I go back. I do the same thing. I re so I do it in three. On the third one, I'll call him to heel position. Right? So my dog now is not anticipating going to the heel position every single time that I recall him. And if you look at people in competition, a lot of the time the dog's just anticipating. They're on autopilot. So exactly. that's another thing. It's like maybe if I'm going to do my retrieve, I throw my retrieve. My dog stays in a sit. Good. I go pick up my retrieve. I throw it again. Good. I go pick up my retrieve. Come back. I look at him. I pay him in the sit position with the ball. Now I'm actually training him seeing me throw the retrieve and him staying steady right next to me. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So it's a great those idea. are those are the type of those those are the type of uh, things that I do in my training just to you know, just because I've 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 already dealt with it. I, I hate at first I wanted a very driven dog and now I'm like, I hate it. Because you have to <laughs> You literally, it's like, you know, you have to be uh, managing it the whole time. Yeah, there's a happy medium, right? Like, and, and that's in my breeding program. I don't know if I'll ever be fully satisfied because I, I, I want that happy medium. I want a dog that lives for it, but is level-headed. And to, right. you know, there's, that's such a fine line. I think there, there's raising them properly and doing some things at a young age properly helps create more level-headedness. Uh, right. But, but yeah, you dance dance the uh, line of chaos there when you've got a high-drive dog, for sure. Um, yep. Let's, yep. let's talk about corrections and pressure and collar conditioning. And, you know, if, if everybody could go to your Instagram page, uh, uh, if you can shout it out real quick for me. It's uh, my uh, personal one is Oscar Mora Dogs, and then the, my company one is at Elevated Canine Academy. Cool. So everybody, flip your phone open and follow him, and then you can see what I'm talking about here. He has such quick responses to his commands: here, heel, sit down. Um, all of these commands are so snappy that it's like mind-boggling um and so let's take uh let's i'm gonna send you the mail and wild that marie got in a couple months and what are you gonna do with this dog in the next x amount of time give people a little bit of timelines i guess of like the average dog i'm gonna work on this with treats and then i do you you know get yeah. treats out of there like how do you develop this yeah I, I mean i first start with uh yeah teaching you know i do some first i teach skills before behaviors so a skill, you know, maybe I teach them the open hand, what I call the open hand, closed hand concept, where if my hand is open, that's an invitation for you to come in and get a reward. My hand is closed. That means you respect my closed hand and you don't bother my hand. Um, I teach them the markers, which is going to be my communication system, my yes, my good, my go, my get it, and obviously my no, which is going to be my correction. Uh, and then I start, you know, I start with luring. Uh, getting the dog's attitude to, you know, have nice attitude. I lure the dog into behaviors, some muscle memory for heel, for sit, down, stand, uh, front. Uh, and then after that, I, you know, I whatever the goal is going to be, 
I just kind of take that path and, you know, start, you know, first I start fading the, the, the lure by adding some type of a leash. So I say sit. At first I lure and then later I sit I, with the leash. I help the dog and then I pay the dog. Same for the down. Uh, teach the dog leash pressure, which is, that's another skill, teaching the dog to yield to the pressure of the leash because I'm going to use that. Uh, I teach my dog uh, a solid uh, stay using the leash with, you know, opposition reflex, make sure the dog stays. Um, and, and describe and that. I, that's where you, I'm imagining that you like pulling on the leash and they still have to be safe. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm working on a sit stay or the dog being on his place or something like that, I make sure I try to peel him off of it with the leash and he stays and I reward that over and over and over and over again. So he understands what that means. What's your correction um, if they get up? If they get off, like say if I had them on a place and they get off. Yeah, or sit and you're pulling on them. Like, how are you making corrections? Uh, in that, in when I first start them, I don't even. I just say no, put them back on a sit, and they don't get a reward, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I do it again, and obviously I'm reading the dog to see how much I can push it, and I try to push it as much as I can. Um, once I, once the dog knows the behavior, and I know that he knows to sit, down, come, all that stuff, and then I will have a. a a punisher in there now it doesn't mean that i'm not correcting during the teaching phase uh i do correct them it could be a short pop on the leash it could be you know it's me saying no go back to your place putting them on there uh that that's the way that dogs learn in my opinion is just through making mistakes and you correcting them and letting them know hey you did the wrong thing uh this is what i want from you and rewarding the right behavior um but really i mean that's what it comes down to is uh, you know i shape the behavior with luring Fade away the lures, and uh, you just move forward, man. I mean, I, I do add e-collar at at some point where the dog. I feel the dog somewhat understands the behavior. I do add the collar, um, and then I do add the collar as a punishment as well. Uh, once you know the dog is a little bit older. So, so describe that so that we can make some uh, yeah so, comparisons. So for so for example, if I want my dog to stay next to me right and my dog pulls away there is going to be a heavy correction away from me letting the dog know you messed up come back and do it the you know do it the right way we have you know people go so i use my e-collar in two ways one is i drive the dog to do the behavior faster yep and i teach that with you know going out to a toy going out going out going out i teach them hey the faster you get there you know, the, the faster the stim's going to stop and the faster you're, you're going to get your reward. And then I have my correction. That one would be, I hate calling it this, but yeah, kind of like hot lava. Like mm -hmm. if you run out of my door, a heavy correction is going to be applied and I'm going to guide you back into the door. Make sure you don't do that again. And when you don't do that again, I'm going to reward you for that. That's right. And the dog goes, Oh shoot. I'm never going to do that ever again. I just want to stay in here until he tells me I can go out. Now, the level of that correction depends on the dog. Some dogs, very minimal. Some dogs, a little higher. That's the same analogy I use. I don't feel bad saying it because it, it's what humans, we can understand. Like, you know, you get a house dog in for obedience and it, it's a counter surfer. Well, yep. how do I make that counter not so fun to be on? 
and I just make a That's joke it. like it's like you're walking on liquid hot magma, you know, like Austin Powers, you know, and uh, and they I mean, get that, it. People get it. it. Yep. And I can That's tell you it. the dogs get it. Yep. Yeah. No, I think uh, you know, like I said, it's a, and it, it's a very black and white thing when I use that. It's like, nah, you messed up. Don't do it again. Now, I do feel like a lot of people use uh, they they talk too much during these uh, corrections, and they confuse the dog. Rather, just letting the dog figure out that him running out is what got him corrected, um, you know. So what I'm saying is, and I got this from a guy named Fabian Robinson. He was like, hey, you guys are just talking way too much. This lady was having, she couldn't control her dog from the car to the field. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're just talking way too much. He's like, put a pinch collar on the dog, put a, put a long line that I could handle. And he, uh, the, the lady had the dog. The dog was acting a fool, trying to bite her and like trying to do, and he just corrected him one time really hard. He said, just pet him when he, when he comes close to you, you can just pet him. And then you walk forward again. And if the dog goes out, again, you're going to correct him. You don't say anything. The dog, all of a sudden in three minutes, the dog is just right next to her. She did not say one word. It was all the dog because the dog is the one that caused the correction, not her. But if she would have said no, no. And correcting him over and over, that dog would have said you know, he wouldn't have got it as fast as he did because he understood that he's the one that caused that correction. Yeah. So that's how I, that's, that's how I work my correction. Uh, when it comes to dog once, most of the time, once I've already, uh, you know, advanced them a little bit. Yeah. I would say that's not a, a a puppy thing, right? I mean, that's to me that, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But I mean, I do, I do do it with puppies if they're biting me. Like, I do not accept biting on me and I correct them with a leash. I just, I don't say anything. I just correct them. I give them a couple pops on the leash. As soon as the dog stops and he chills out, I pet him and then I continue walking. If he does it again, I correct him very fast. The dog learns I'm not supposed to bite and I don't say anything. It's just, it's just the leash doing the work. Yeah. I get you on that. Same with, same with jumping and yep. Now, how about Marie's little Malinois that she might want to play the bite dog sport? How do you curb a good a good mouth and what's not a good mouth? I think dogs are a lot smarter than uh, than we think, and I think the dog very fast will understand where he's playing the game and where he's not playing the game. Like my dog at home is a complete different dog than my dog on the field, and I'm sure a lot of your dogs are the same. Oh yeah. So at home, none of that is acceptable. Like don't bite me. Don't do any of that stuff. When he goes to the field and the decoys in front of him and he builds up his driving, it's going to be very clear here. I could bite here. I can't bite that. And now if the dog is not all genetically there, then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't built for that from the get go. But just because you don't, just because you allow your dog to bite you in regular home pet obedience, doesn't mean it's going to make him a stronger dog in the field. In my opinion, Right, so create, still create rules and boundaries, and then a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then later, it's still gonna be there. A hundred percent. I got you. Yeah, we just so, are I worried mean, that we don't. We're gonna take away the ability to do it. Right, like if he thinks or she really, if she thinks it's a not okay ever, we shouldn't have to worry about that, right? So I think that she should. She should be able to go. Hey, don't bite me. And then in the same, in the same sequence, be like, Hey, come on, play with this toy, bite this toy, you know? And, and he should understand that he shouldn't be biting her and that's it. 
Gotcha. And then once the decoy's in front, then, you know, you could, he knows that, you know, he's going to bite a tug first, then a leg sleeve, and then a suit, and so on and so on. Do you think that in your in those sports, people do too much biting too young? Like the, the drive is too high because they built it too young instead of having building blocks to get to that point? Or because what I'm trying to think about is how I can relay that into the retrieve world. Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, that is uh, that is one of the biggest things is that, for example, one of the biggest things that per- people that do protection is I don't teach my dog now until he's a year old as if that was going to make the dog just this, this stronger beast. Mm-hmm. No, nah, what ends up happening is later you just have to beat on him a lot more because he's been doing this for a whole year of his life. Mm-hmm. And now you're trying to correct him to out. And I, that's, you're just being unfair. I teach my dog to out, you know, at eight weeks, as soon as he starts biting, I teach him to out. And again, if you have to, if, if that's going to mess up your dog's drive or anything like that, uh, you, I think you didn't have a good dog to begin with for the work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I definitely think, uh, no. So for my puppy, uh, if, if you go back to my Instagram on my Oscar Mora dogs, or I think my elevated ones, there's one where I'm agitating the, the, the puppy. He's on a back line and I'm agitating them, want getting them to bite the tug. Like he's really wants to bite it. And then I say done. And the dog is supposed to stop. And I keep moving the toy. I keep using the clatter stick, but he's still, he can't do anything. And he stays still, I say, yes, and now he can bite it again, and he can play. And that's cool. something that I teach him at a very, very young age, because he should know that when I say done, it means done. Nothing continues. You stop. And that's going to get you rewarded. Sometimes I reward the done. Sometimes I reward the, you know, him actually wanting to bite the toy. That makes sense. There's so many cool little correlations where I wish, you know, someday I want to take a sabbatical. I want to take a life sabbatical, and I want to come and hang out with someone. What is that, bro? Uh, like where you quit work. Like teachers do it. Okay, got it. <laughs> like got, it pro- got it, got it, got it. <laughs> got it. A professor will take a sabbatical from the university to go learn, you know, in Argentina about uh, potatoes, and they're like a a potato professor. Got it. Right? So I want to learn more about <laughs> protection sports and come and watch someone of, with your expertise and, and not just come watch for half a day. Cause you, right. you, you can pick up little things and like body movement and I, I get it, but immerse myself in your world for three months, six months. Um, you know, go, I'm sure, I'm sure I can learn a lot from you. <laughs> I need to do that with you. It would be fun, man. And I mean, KD came and he's been with me now. I think three different times for several days and we have some of the most fun discussions on why I did something and how we could do it different. And, you know, it's yeah, just, I would be interested in that. It's really cool. And I want to do it with yeah. sheepdog people too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Those dogs are, those dogs are crazy. Now, another thing, man, that I want to touch on is, uh, cause lately the last couple of days, this pure positive trainer went out and just kind of bashing, you know, the, the protection sport decoys saying that they don't really know because of that, because they do a lot of, you know, drive building in the beginning and then they are, they're having a hard time capping it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think she, you know, and, but what ends up happening in, in dog sports is, uh, you know what, man, like through conflict, I think our dogs get a little bit stronger. If, uh, if we, for in protection, if we 
try to set them up for success all the time and they never make mistakes and get corrected for them, I think that the day of the trial, that'll create a dog that if he gets stepped on, he's going to go, yo, you broke the rules. That's not part of the game. I don't want to bite anymore. And so for me, I think it, it, uh, it helps the dog become a little bit stronger sometimes where when the handler makes a mistake and, you know, uh, doesn't grab the leash the right way and the dog has to, you know, bite and then gets corrected for not bite. Like those are all learning experiences. I think for the dog that creates a, a better dog in my opinion. Oh, I do too. And, and what I've seen, uh, you know, from people doing the pure positive thing is that when rules get broken, uh, in, in their head, then they don't want any part of it anymore. And I think that that is a little bit, and, and that can, that can happen too. If you create a dog that you cap way too much where you don't let him express himself as well, you got to let the dog be who he is too. let him express himself, let him bite, let him do all that stuff. But be aware that, you know, especially if you know the lines, be aware of what's going to be coming in the future. I think those are great points to make. I think sometimes put our thumb down on a dog and tighten the screws too much where they can't express themselves. Like you said, their, your, their personality is being held down too much. And then when the going gets tough, you know, they just explode in excitement and they, the yep. world gets the better of them where if they're allowed to just have a little bit of the reins, they can take a deep breath. Yep. And, and then when something weird happens, they still go with the flow, sure. but a hundred percent, man. My thought too is with with especially collar conditioning because collar conditioning, everybody, not everyone, the, the people who are against using an e collar, um, because they think it's uh, inhumane or whatever, They're, it's mean to the dog, right? It's those people that think this. I'm not. I I think it gives the dog more confidence. I think if right. you do the e-collar properly and you... Properly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The, the key word. Uh, if, if it's taught to the dog and then they understand it, they get to experience the world around them more because they can be off-leash. They can be taken more places. They can be advanced their training so that they're not worried like, should I do this or should I do that? Should I do this? No, you just do what I told you. And their skill level goes up and all of a sudden you get a dog that is more confident. We'll get dogs in for house dogs, for instance, that are so nervy and lack socialization and don't know how to be a dog, literally don't know how to be a dog because they've been in a crate and then in a living room and then in a fenced in backyard and nowhere else because they're a dink to take on a leash and they jump on people. So they don't want their to be around guests and they come here and in a month they start, you can see them relax. Right because they've got some some rules and boundaries and limitations and and I they know what to be is expected of them and if they do wrong yeah they're getting their butt jacked here and there but right in the grand scheme of things they're getting to experience way more fun stuff 100% yeah yep purely yeah and i think uh yeah and 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 that also goes to people that are that have the dogs so tight you know like not letting them do anything any mistakes and then the first mistake the dog made, like, so, you know, in competition, I've seen people that literally taught everything with the e-collar almost like, you know, they try to shape everything with the collar and this and that. 
the time the goes into the field and the dog after three mistakes or two mistakes and the and the dog's not used to the correction like he doesn't get the correction it's game over you're done mm-hmm. you lose the dog and after that he knows when he's in competition and when he's not and so one one uh, right now one piece of advice that I got from a guy named Mike Deal he's he's a world competitor in uh, in in Shutton he said he he saw me training and he was like how many times did you correct the dog and where I said shit I don't know I was just correcting him and he was like if you don't if you don't know where you're correcting him and how many times you're correcting him I don't think you're ready for competition yet like you're not you're not ready yet the dog uh, yeah he's yeah like, yeah so he was like hand me the remote and then I handed him the remote and he was like you know my dog did everything man my dog did everything He's like, I corrected him. He, he corrected him like two times. He's like, I corrected him here and I corrected him here. I was like, that's it? He's like, yeah. I was like, holy shit. I was like, so what that told me was like, I'm just getting a little too uh, comfortable with the remote and just relying on like, you know, relying on it way too much when I don't need it. And that's going to, you know, let my dog know that when I'm not using it, like how he's used to getting, you, you know, then I'm going to lose him. And and that, that, you know, to me, that was just a big thing for competition. I was like, man, that was a good piece of advice that I needed because I don't really need the remote as much as I thought I did. Sure. Or we get used to using it so much that, like you said, you don't know when, how, well, how many times did I nick the dog? So for instance, right. for my world, I learned that a few years ago with, uh, the one dog in particular, you could run a beautiful blind retrieve, but I, I realized later when I didn't have the remote because we were at a competition that she'd be sitting slowly on the whistle every time. Got it. And so, you know, in training, it'd be like tweet bump on the collar. Oh, that butt hit the ground. Good cast, beautiful cast, tweet bump, tweet bump, tweet bump. And, and I didn't realize that I was overdoing it and probably ultimately training her that she doesn't have to sit until she feels it. That was almost the cue, yep. Yeah, that was the cue to sit is like, well, I don't have to. Until, oh, I feel it, boom, butt's on the ground. So that we go to the competition, and she didn't get that first one or two little stimulations, and the wheels came off. Right. And so you've got to kind of you know figure that out before you go to game day that if you're relying on the collar or you're relying on corrections or, or even verbal stuff. you know, I don't know about your, right. your competitions, but we can't use the word no. It's, Got it. That's a correction, and you're yeah, out. we can't do it either. Yeah. So if I tell one, a dog, one, no, one thing, out. one thing I do with my e collar, I don't know if it it could it could help you or applies to you guys because I don't I don't know if the dog is the dog naked when you guys go out there in competition. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So in in IGP in Shutton, the dog is allowed to wear a fur saver, and so. I never use with Wapo. I don't use my e collar unless my fur saver comes on, and he knows. What is that thingy? A fur saver is like a just like a a collar. It's the like a, a metal collar, you know that that he wears. And so, uh, if you see uh, actually the video we posted today on how to make an active dog versus a re uh, reactive dog that we put on the Canine University is uh you know how to how to get the dog to basically get you to produce the reward instead of you, you know, get producing the reward and getting the dog into playing. How can the dog push you to produce the reward? And anyways, well, what I'm getting to is, uh, once the dog is pushing me, I put this first saver on and then our, from a baby, this collar comes on 
and then our session starts. And as an adult, the collar, that collar comes on and maybe I tell him to heal and I bump him on the e-collar a little bit and he comes in to heal. And now he understands that when this collar comes on, that's when the e-collar is on. Mm-hmm. And without it, it does not work. Without it, the e-collar never works. Even though it's on him, it never works. And the day of the competition, right before I go into the field, I bring out this collar and he goes, oh shit, it's, it's showtime. Yep. And I put it on and he goes right into heel position and I go in because in his mind, he believes that the e-collar is on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's and why that's we can't, that's why we can't have it. <laughs> right. So, but, but now what I'm doing with, uh, with Rogan is the opposite. I have him there. His e-collar is on. I have the chameleon. I have him on there. I, he gets kind of like on my chest. I take off the collar and I reward him right away over and over and over. And then I take off the collar, call him a heel, bump him, and then I pay him. Am I 100% sure that this is going to work the day of the competition? I don't know. But I want to make sure that I put this in there right now to hopefully have just one other thing that could help me the day of the competition. Basically a cue letting him know this is when the collar comes on. This is when the collar is going to be used. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one thing I wanted to talk on, we don't, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, when we were at Street League, I, I overheard slash sort of participated in the conversation. Um, you've done some work with movies and some of your dogs, right? Yeah. Yep. Talk about that. That's pretty badass. Yeah, so I, I, I wasn't the main guy. They called me because I was taking bites and whatnot. And so, um, so I, uh, you know, I did like the Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, where, you know, I'm supposed to walk like a zombie. They send the dog to bite and I'm wearing hidden garments and, you know, you kind of place the dog on the bite and they shoot whatever. And then I did one with my favorite one was, uh, I did this one on this show called gang related. And basically I, I posed as like some like Russian mobster or something. And, uh, I have hidden garments on both arms and, they, the guy is going to kill me, but instead of shooting me, he opens up, he hits like this button and the kennels open up for the dogs <laughs> and they come out running and one of, and I'm, and it's my job to place one on one arm and then turn around and place the dog on the other arm so they could bite me in the shoot, you know, they could, uh, and so they can get this shot of the dogs basically killing me, mauling me or whatever. That's so and cool. so, uh, but yeah, man, it's, 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 it's super fun. Like, uh, you know, cause you got to prep for it and all that. And I don't know. Have you ever heard of Omar Von Mueller? Uh, no. Okay. He's like one of the top movie guys, man. If you go to his Instagram, he does crazy stuff with his dogs, like, uh, you know, biting or teaching them how to like breathe into your mouth. Like, you know, like just by placing them, like, uh, giving you CPR, like a bunch of stuff, man. He does crazy stuff. Um, it's amazing just to see what dogs can do and what they can learn, you know? Yeah. And to, for me, the, the movie stuff, the fun part about it was just like, sometimes you got to improvise. You're like, man, how can we get this shot? And you know, you got to make it happen. So yeah, man, mo- movie stuff is a uh, super fun, but here in California is super controlled. Like not many people can get into that scene. You really got to be in the in group. So I got, I was able, I was privileged to have people, know people that were in it and they got me in but I'm definitely not the guy that they would call because, yeah, I'm not there yet. Wow, that's a really neat opportunity. Um, when you're doing two dogs, at how often do you train two dogs at once to bite one dude? I feel like there be it's got to be the right dog or else yeah. that competition it's, it's, comes it's, in where they might turn on each other. It's, 
Eh, it's got to be the for, for the most part, man. Like Malinois, all they care about is biting. They don't really care about the other dogs. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that, as far as that goes, it's, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, but you definitely have to have the right dogs and do the training correctly to make sure that you know they're not going to turn on each other. Yeah, that it doesn't happen often. But if you get two jerk males at our competitions, and we call it a break. So if a dog breaks when it's not their turn to go and two uh-huh. dogs are running after the the thing they want the most it can be they'll a dog go at fight. it yep. yeah they'll go I at it i can see that happen and uh, so oh just, yeah that makes sense as soon as you said two dogs at once i'm thinking hmm I don't yeah know. i have seen a police dog go after another police dog yeah, yeah. uh yeah because of that so I'm, I'm sure it'll happen do you do any work with police departments you know what i, I haven't done a lot i just started uh working with a couple people that are, you know, law enforcement officers and that that's definitely something I would like to get more into. That's cool. That's cool. And tell me we never really dug into your business. Tell me more about your business real quick. What do you guys specialize in? Yeah, and, man, and what I mean, you guys work we on? we do uh, we do mostly pet dog obedience. And so we do a lot of boarding trains, uh private sessions, and then now we started dabbling around in group sessions. So uh yeah, man, I'm just I mean, I'm, I'm so blessed. It's just how much it has, grow, has grown in the last couple of years. I have some really have a really good team that has been able to, you know, help me out. So I'm, I'm really happy with where we're at. That's cool. What does your board and train consist of? Um, we have a three week, a uh, five week, and a ten week. Three week is basically on on leash obedience. Uh, sit down, come, place, uh, heel, all that stuff, and then. On the five week, we introduced the e collar, and then the ten week is off leash. Gotcha. Very cool. Yep. How many yep, dogs yep, do yep. you guys do you keep them at your? Do you have a facility? Yeah. So, so we don't have a facility. Our our trainers keep the dogs in their place. So, you know, the most that they could have at a time is four, mm-hmm. five dogs. And uh, I I had all the dogs at my place before, and it just became too hectic. It was just too much for me. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like you. <laughs> I feel like this way. I feel like this way. Actually, the dogs get out more. Uh, you know, they get them more. It's just way better, man. It, and before I could only bring ten dogs in at a time. Right now, we're bringing thirty to forty dogs in for a boarding train. That's great. So yeah. it worked out. That's uh, so we do the same, right? Like our our dogs. I would probably say on average, I have two to four obedience dogs at a time, and then the rest are all gun dogs or competition gun dogs nice. and uh right now I, we're at like 25 we got a few more coming and it gets hectic man it gets <laughs> yeah there's a, lot of dog, a lot of dogs man there's a lot of dog shit to pick up around here for sure <laughs> do you have a do you have other trainers i do yep i do i have awesome an obedience trainer um and so she'll work with the gun dogs as well but uh, she focuses on the, the house dogs. And then I have an awesome. assistant trainer that she's the one that got the Malinois. And uh, the team, that I'm like you said, you're blessed. I feel the same way. They work their tail off, uh, show up on time, never want to stop, always ready to learn. Um, That's awesome. I guess my last question for you, and I'll let you go. Speaking of they always want to learn, that's part of why I love this show and I feel lucky that I got to chat with you and pick your brain. But if you Likewise, man. if you had some, some other resources 
for people like like you mentioned, there was a, a gentleman um, in Hollywood. You know, who do you like to learn from? Who did who do you watch? Who do you want to go man, spend time with? I like to learn from anybody, man. I mean, I, I I'm really one of those guys. Like, uh, if you even one of my trainers can come with an idea, I probably I probably try it. Um, but if it, if it was like you know people that are that have accomplished more than me, uh, that type of stuff. I think, uh, this guy, that guy, Marco, Marco from, uh, what is it? Canimo, uh, canine. They run like an online school. And, uh, so he's one of the guys that I would definitely like to shadow and learn from. Um, who else? Uh, there's this guy named Bart, Bart Bellin. Uh, I haven't spent any time with him. That's somebody who I would, I wouldn't mind spending some time with. Um, but other than that, man, I mean, anybody, anybody that has, that puts out, like, if I see a video on Instagram or something, I'm like, they're doing something different. I'm definitely going to be reaching out and trying to figure out what they're doing. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's how I am. It's constantly a sponge watching, listening, and, uh, taking pieces of the puzzle that other people have figured out and how I can apply it to, uh, our crew here. A hundred percent, man. That's it. Yeah. And then there were a couple things also that we wanted to touch on. You've got a apparel line for dog training. Yeah. Yeah, your underdog yeah, so, and Mickey Wear. Yep. Yeah, underdog U N D R O G dot US. Uh and then Mickey Wear. Uh Mickey Wear has some really cool hoodies with a bunch of and zip ups with a bunch of different pockets and stuff. So uh I'm I'm really happy with those. And then uh now we just launched I just launched launched a couple classes on the K9 University, so I'm I'm really excited about that as well. That's awesome. And if everybody remembers when we had uh Mike from Primal Canine on uh, he's also the street league dude. Um, that's an affiliation with them, right? Yes. So I am a judge for the Canine Street League. Um, so yeah, we we also have another event coming pretty soon. So I'm, that, that's something to look out for as well. Cool. Are you gonna Are you gonna bring your dogs into the competition, or are you just gonna sit back and judge and and help? I them think I'm it? just gonna judge right now, at least until we bring other judges on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll probably just sit it out for right now. I, yeah, I, we don't have any other judges. It's just me, and we're really trying to take it slow and build this out the right way. Uh, so we're being kind of, uh, you know, kind of picky about who we bring on and all that. Good for you, man. Well, I love it. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more on this show. I'd love to do it again. And uh, again, everybody, Oscar Mora, I appreciate you being on our show. Um, one more time, give everybody the links to your Instagram and Facebook and websites and stuff, buddy. For sure. My Instagram is uh, at Elevated Canine Academy and at Oscar Mora Dogs. And then, uh, yeah, Facebook, same Elevated Canine Academy. Awesome. And, man, it was, a, it was a pleasure hanging out, man. Thank you so much for inviting I, me. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to do it. So we'll do it again. I appreciate you. Stay in touch and be well, my friend. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It's a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in, let's go, join the community. We appreciate it and we'll see you there. 
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Birdshot Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Birdshot Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Birdshot Podcast today. Thank you.